Good morning, everyone. And for the second time, hello to you who were in television land. We already did this, but of course, the crew wasn't ready. I was ahead of them. So good to have you here this morning as we continue in our study of God's love. Let me emphasize again what I continually emphasize. Everything about God, everything that he, he has revealed to us and given to us in his word, everything is absolutely necessarily significant. Okay, we know that. However, there are certain aspects of God that impact us more personally and more deeply than other aspects. And when it comes to the issue of God's love, because we are people of his love, to be the living demonstration and manifestation of what the love of God looks like. And so when it comes to this attribute of God's love, it is critical that we have a larger and deeper and more grand understanding and comprehension and experience of that love so we can be those who revel, revel in the love of God, revel in the love of God, no matter what the circumstance, so that the world can see that this love of God, which has invaded our lives and which is now our very life, is absolutely foreign and alien to anything that the world even begins to understand and is the greatest lure that the Holy Spirit uses to bring those whom he has predetermined to be saved into the kingdom of God. And so that's why we emphasize this so much, this study. And so for those of you who are here, for those of you who are watching by TV, or whatever you call it, I, television, I'm sorry. I encourage you, keep up. If you've missed a class or two, go back and listen because each one is built on the other. So this morning we come to the attribute of God's righteousness. In Second Chronicles 12, 6, and I think, I don't know what's in the notes all the time, but in Second Chronicles 12, 6, this is what the Lord says about himself. He says, the Lord is righteous righteous. And so to affirm that Yahweh, the Lord, is righteous is to affirm that God's personal, that God is personally, intrinsically, meaning in himself, because of himself, he is right. He is right. Now, how many of us believers <clears throat> who trust in the Lord and who believe in his work and in his purpose have ever asked ourselves, is it right for God to do this? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Come on, hasn't it? It crosses our minds. Because what happens is when we experience 
this earthly life and when we watch what is going on in the world, in my own life, in the life of my loved ones, and those things which I see and experience do not line up in my mind to what I think or even try to understand or mistakenly understand about God's will, when things don't line up, what do I ask? Is it right? Is that right? Shouldn't it be another way? Can't there be another way? And so this issue of God's rightness, and often I say it rightness rather than righteousness, is critical for our understanding God's love. Because what we, again, tend to do we create from our own experiences the definitions. We make up the definitions. We determine the parameters. We determine what should and should not be of God's love and how it should and should not work. We do that. That's our default as human beings. It's in all of us, and it's going to happen. But the one who determines what is right is he who is right in himself. Therefore, God is the only one who determines what is right. Why? Because he is right. Because he is righteous. And as a result of him being who he is in himself as the only right being in all of the creation, he has the right and the obligation to determine what is right. And in fact, if he does not do that, he has failed in himself to proclaim the truth. To say that God is righteous is to affirm that God is always and comprehensively right. Always and comprehensively right. And so it is God's very essence, it is the very nature of God to be right, to be righteous. Now, I, I pound on this because it is so significant. And it is the, if you would, moral or ethical issue about God that will probably give us the most difficulty as believers we probably don't have a lot of difficulty that God is everywhere comprehensively. Anybody really have a problem with that, although it's a mind bender? John, do you really quit? I don't know of that. You know, we know that, that God is all powerful. Anton, is that a real, uh, you know, you question? No, not really. You know, what? It works for him. We, we maybe question a little bit about God's immutability, that he doesn't change. His methods, but not of his essence, therefore of his ultimate will. But when it comes to God's righteousness, now we have stepped in to the issue of the ethics or moral character of God. And this is where probably, I don't know how, what percent, Chris, I'll say 90%. It could be 92 and a half. It could be 89 and three quarters. Round up the grades. 
I didn't round anything. And so when it comes to this issue, this is where most of the questions are. And in today's, I'm not going to bring in the society things today, but in today's world, it's not the first time that mankind has asked this. This has been asked since the very beginning in Genesis when the Satan said, have God said he wanted Eve to what? And Adam to what? Question God's rightness. Immediately. Immediately. Do you think God's right in not letting you eat of that fruit? Is that fair? Is that putting you first? Is that putting you down, restricting you, your liberty, your freedom? Is that really God? So righteousness is right off the bat in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And, of course, we know Adam and Eve failed with the answer. It's a moral and an ethical issue here. And this is the issue that is becoming accentuated. Notice I didn't say it's more now than any other time. I do not believe that there's any issue of sin upon the earth that is more now than at any other time. I think it is more accentuated and more obvious now than at any other time. I can be as nasty and whatever as a snake and you don't see it. And so one day I do something, you say, man, he's worse today than he's ever been. I have always been worse. I am just now showing you, Steve, how worse I am, correct? So I'm not more worse today. Things are not worse today. They are increasing in their manifestation. We're seeing it. The, the, the cloak is being stripped away from satanic activity, and we're seeing it more clearly today. Do, do you understand this? It's not a different world today than it was in the days of Noah or in the days of Moses or in any day. Every day is absolutely, completely fallen and corrupt. We're just seeing the fruit of it more. And so God's nature is the very essence of what is right. He is the only one who determines what is Good and bad, right and wrong. God is right in everything he does. Can we affirm that? But here's the flip side. God is right in everything that he what? Does not do. And that's where the problem is. When God is doing what we believe he should do, then we proclaim and revel in the fact that God is right. But when God does something or does not do something that we think should or should not be done, then what happens in our own hearts and minds? The fallen flesh, the Satan comes in and begins to say to us what he said to the couple that day. Hath God said, is God right in this decision or in this action or in this inaction is it right and when that happens in me and it happens in me why because I'm a human being I know some of you may not think so but I am 
and when things are going on in our lives that we determine that are not right, then we begin to question God's rightness. And the difficulty is this, David. I, unless I have the revelation of the Holy Spirit himself, I cannot determine what is right as to the circumstances and the events of my life or of this world. How can I? Because, you see, God is so different than we are. We would run the world a whole lot differently. How many of us would run things better than God? Come on, come on, come on. I'm the only one who's ever thought that. Every time you ask why and this and that and the other, you're better than God. Come on. We know how that works. We just have to make it real. In Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. <clears throat> so why did I put that there? Sorry, bad word. Why did I feel the Holy Spirit? You see how person, flesh crawls in? Why did I put that there? You, saw, you, saw, you caught it right away, didn't you? Why did the Holy Spirit give it to me to put there? Right? Because it gets into the issue of how righteousness is worked out. See, every attribute of God is worked out in some way. Do you, you see that? His immutability is worked out. His omniscience is worked out. There's activity, there's revelation that is in keeping with whatever the attribute is. And so God is righteous in how many of his ways? All his ways. That's where the problem lies when we come to the issue of understanding the love of God. How can a loving God let this happen? How can a loving God not intervene? Next Tuesday, how can a, elect, next Wednesday, how can a loving God allow Biden to have been elected? How can a loving God allow Trump to have been reelected? Judy, how can that happen? We do that. And we need when those thoughts come into our minds to rebuke them immediately because it is Satan saying to us what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, hath God said. Does God have the right to say and to determine? Amen? And why do I bring in the election? Because it's so central to how we live, at least we think. But our lives are not determined in Christ by anything of any politics. It's determined by the will of God, which is always right. So the way God's righteousness works out called his ways here. Deuteronomy 4.37, just are his, his works are true. Therefore, his ways are just, and the Lord is just. So now we get the word just or justice or justly into the conversation. Why? 
because the way God's intrinsic righteousness, his intrinsic rightness comprehensively at all times and in all situations, God's intrinsic rightness is always worked out or revealed or manifested in his works and ways which are always just. The word just and justice or justly have to do with the outworkings of God's own righteousness. Now, don't you fall for the corruption of the world when the world wants to define what just is. Don't you fall for that mess. For what the world says is just and justice I'll just say what I want to say, is always wrong. Why can I say that? Because what the world says is just and justice never has to do with God's intrinsic rightness, but what the world thinks and determines as right and wrong. Can you say amen? That's what's wrong with the issue of just and justice in any of our lives. We have removed it from the category, from the activity, from the manifestation, from the work of a righteous God and placed it in, uh, in an idolatrous circumstantial situation and made it something of this world of our fallen and corrupt considerations and determinations and definitions. So I want to warn you. It's more accentuated today than ever, but I do believe that the word just is somewhere in the Bible. The Old Testament is filled, filled with the issue of just and justice filled with it and people in those days apart from the people of God were defining just and justice according to their culture which today we are defining the same words differently but according to our day and culture do you see that the word just and justice in relation to the world's use thereof fluctuates in relation to circumstances culture and so I dare say that Nazi Germany defined just and justice in a little different way than what we're hearing it defined today. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Well, then who's just? Were they just or today? None of them. May I repeat that? How many in the world? What about the world's definition is what? Never, ever correct. So may I disabuse you, or hopefully the Holy Spirit, disabuse us and free us from any bondage or connection to what the world says and anchor us into the very heart of God himself. Amen? Yes. Hey, Jonathan. Hi. He was waving to me secretly doing this. And I just have to respond, especially to that name, Jonathan. And so the word just or justice 
is a forensic term. It's a legal term. It has to do with those activities. Now listen to this. Biblically speaking, the word just, and this is the way God uses it, the word just and justice or justly always, always has to do with those activities or lack of activities which are in keeping or which are in moral correspondence with the very heart and nature of God which is revealed in his word. Just as, what word do I want? Come on. Justified before the law. Justified before the law. Therefore, the word just and justice, biblically speaking, always has as its backdrop, as its only consideration, is this according to God's law? Is it in keeping with the very moral law of God? Because the moral law of God, which is the Ten Commandments, is a revelation of his own personal moral rightness. So when you hear the word just and justice, or if we use it, we must use it if we're going to use it the way God uses it to refer to that which is in keeping with his law. And what is in keeping with his law? Everything and anything that acknowledges and honors and accentuates God as God. It's not just keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. It is a life in which these, if you would, rules and regulations are manifestly being worked out in us, which is a manifestation of the reality and the truth that our God is a living God and he lives in us. That's justice. That activity is justice. You see, the word righteousness and justice are two terms which express the essential union between God's nature and God's works or his character. Righteous in nature, just in his works. I want you to see the distinction. Thus, justice is the activity that expresses the righteousness of God because those actions are in keeping with and are promoting of his own righteous nature as defined by his law. You see this in Amos. Some of you may remember this quote, Amos 5.24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Why does this fallen world scream and call out for and yearn for justice? Because it does. Why, when we see something that we think is unjust, that we get upset. Anybody see any actions or other whatever's or judgments or whatever that are unjust, that we feel unjust? Anybody ever have that experience? Why do we scream out? There's something deep in me that what? Screams out. That you see, even though we're fallen, 
that's an activity that is screaming out for the justice of God to be proclaimed because God has created humanity to be just but humanity fell so that's a screaming out but the mistake we make is to apply biblical justice to non-biblical people and expect them to walk in and adhere to and even understand what biblical justice is. And they can't. They can't. Because only those who have the Holy Spirit have the ability to understand biblical justice because we are the ones who have been served the good and the benefit of God's own justice. And because both righteousness and justice speak about God's nature, this is what we read in Psalm 37, 28. The Lord loves justice. He loves justice. And he loves justice, why? Because biblical justice is the activity that always promotes his holy will in his people and for his people. Always. The goal of God in justice is to save his people. The goal of God in justice is to save his people. This means that God's love is always a just and a righteous love. To act justly in biblical sense, when I use this word biblical, to act justly is the only activity of love. When I act biblically unjustly, I am acting contrary to the love of God. And you see, this is the goal and the reason fundamentally and primarily why justice is so significant. The significance of justice is not primarily about people. It's about God. You see how entrenched we are when we think of justice. What do we think? How we relate to one another. That's usually the first thing that comes into our mind because we're so people-oriented. But we must be extricated from that and become more and more by the power of the Spirit and the revelation of His will and word to become more God-oriented. So everything about justice is primarily about whom, Troy? God. God. Why are we to walk justly? Because we are the people of God. Why are we to do justice? <clears throat> because we are the people of God. Secondarily is how that works out in our relationships. It's a secondary issue. It is important, but it is not of first significance. And if we don't get it that way, we will begin to misunderstand and misapply what justice is. Because the moment we begin to take our eyes from the centrality of God himself, we begin to go astray. You're driving down the road, and you start looking down on your seat. You take your eyes off, and what's going to happen? You're going to go off the road. You must keep your eyes on the path before you. 
So when you're sharing with your friends about justice in this society today that has so loudly speaking about it, and I'm not upset by that. I think, in fact, it's a rather good thing. I think it's a rather awakening for the church because we really don't hear very many sermons or teachings about justice. And why are we doing it in here? Because of what's happening out there? Of course not. We're doing it in here because this is the way the Holy Spirit is leading us to do it. And so when we begin to listen to the dialogue about justice, think first and primarily about God and order your understanding and your responses in relation to the righteousness of our holy God in keeping with his revealed law. It's about God every time. Now remember this, when we look at Psalm 37, 28, the word says the Lord loves justice. So when we read in Romans 5, 5, <clears throat> that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, this is a work of his justice. This is a just activity that God has given us, the Holy Spirit. It's a, an activity of his own righteousness. He's given us his Holy Spirit because he is righteous. And the way he has given his Holy Spirit is a just way. Ah, but there's a big problem here now. How can God justly, in keeping with his own moral perfection, how can God justly pour out his love in us when we read in Romans 6.23, what? I'm sorry, 3.23, what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to what Nahum says in 1.3. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. All have sinned. How many, of in this, how many in this room have never sinned? We all sin. So how can God remain just and holy and righteous and pure when he must punish the unrighteous? How can he pour out his Holy Spirit in us and remain just, remain faithful to himself, not violate his own character? How can that be? It's a major issue. This is an issue that dominates the thinking of many people. How, you know, Baduzi, I saw what you did last week and you call yourself a Christian. How can that be? How can it be that you got away with that? and you call yourself a Christian. You see, because the problem of the question in that is, how can God be just and call you a child of God when I saw you, Gail? I saw what you, I heard what you said about that person. That's a question that we have to deal with. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sins what? What's gonna happen to the soul that sins? You're gonna die. 
You see, this is why we read in Romans 1.18 for the what? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. So we see all these condemning statements in the Bible. We see all of this rejecting activity of God. In Adam and Eve, the entire race was contained. And when these two sinned, the entire race became unrighteous, ungodly, guilty, corrupted, the entire race. How can God bring to himself and embrace how can God's holiness, his ethical purity, his moral perfection embrace sin? <clears throat> he can only do it through his activity of love, which has, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit for next week, two streams coming out of the great river of love. God's justice and his mercy. God must justly condemn each one of us. He has to. Why? Because he loves his own justice. But he also loves us. And so he must show mercy. Did I say it right? He what? Must show mercy. Why? Because he has committed himself to show mercy to his people when he created us to be in his image, lest he fail. And so the issue and the resolution of the conundrum, the, the question, this Gordian knot that seems not to be able to be untied, must be resolved and is resolved by God himself. Therefore, we should ask this. How can a righteous God pour out his love upon an unrighteous people who have always practiced injustice? How can God do that and remain a God of righteous love? How can he do it? You see, the answer lies in the fact that because God is righteous, that he loves justice and can love us with an everlasting love. Remember in Jeremiah 31, 3. We have to get these issues clear in our minds, not because of today's screaming world for justice. Not because of that. I would never emphasize what we must and must not do based on what's going on in the world today. Never. It is emphasized only and always because it has to do with God himself. Amen? Amen. That's the reason. Ain't got nothing to do with marches and placards and burnings and riots and whatever. Nothing. 
Friends in Christ, it has everything to do with the honor and the integrity and the glory of this God who lives in us by the Holy Spirit. That's the issue of our lives. That's the issue that drives us, amen, that controls us, that leads us. So no matter what is happening out there, this truth still remains. It's better in here than it is out there, amen? So next week, let's continue with this.